I guess that's a good place to start. Uh, I, I guess that's a good place to start up. I don't want to get all fucked up about history again, so if I fuck up again, let's just start off with elbows. Elbows on the table. Has anybody heard an alternate theory to elbows on the table besides don't do it because it looks bad and also it might remind people that you're a pirate? Has anyone ever heard that or anything but that? Don't put your elbows on the table, because pirates used to do that. Have anybody fucking heard that? Or is that just me? Oh, no! That definitely can't be right, then. Oh, no. I've heard that several times, and now I'm really, really fucked up. Yeah. Uh, so the way that, the way that I heard it, I don't know if y'all spent a lot of time on the insides of replicas of ships from the 16 and 1700s, like some of us. Uh, but if you if you ever go on one of these ships, you know, it's very impressive. You'll hear something like, these ships, these galleons, these, these, uh, <clears throat> these, these ship of the limes. Ooh, they could have crews of 120, and they could be 50 feet tall. And you hear these metrics, and you're like, that's cool. And then you realize, like, but what if a strip mall could move and you all had to live inside the strip mall, all 150 of you? Like, what if a, like an average American-sized strip mall was mobile and that's all the space you had to live for months at a time and there were 150 of you? And the answer is, oh, fuck no. <laughs> that's not a lot of space at all. Like, if you walk towards a strip mall, you see, like, you know, I don't, I don't know if you guys know what America's like anymore, the economy and everything. Uh, but if you walk towards an American strip mall at this point, it's like, wow, do we really need a dog bakery and a check cashing place and a vape store and, uh, <laughs> and a fast food yogurt hunt that's going to be gone within three months at every intersection? Do we need that at all of them? So it seems like there's a lot of space when you walk up to the average strip mall, but then if you were to actually have to live there, with 149 actual people, and you couldn't leave. You're stuck there for months. It's such a tiny fucking space. And so when they show you the pirates cooking and everything on TV shows, you'll notice real quick, if you ever watch a TV show where, not just pirates, but like even uh, Far Side of the World, Master and Commander, stuff like that, any kind, anything on a ship, they'll do a couple of shots to show you people eating uh, in the galley on the ship. And then for the rest of the movie slash TV series, they'll do everything they can to not show those shots again. Because it is such fucking pain trying to get all of the people and all of the lighting and the camera in there and fucking, like, set it up because it's such a tiny fucking space. I don't know if you... You just don't want to do it. It's an expensive shot for nothing. And so after they show a wide shot or two of everybody eating with, a, with ADR, with people talking, like... Like, you can definitely tell that people's mouths aren't moving at the same time. Like, this food's good, you know? After they do that, it's always tight, close shots of people at, like, one table that's on, suddenly, like, 40% bigger than all the other tables were in the wide shot. And then it's the main characters going, like, I don't know if we can trust this captain. I don't know if we can trust him. Because that's every fucking pirate show for some reason. Every every show on every boat has to have a mutiny. Uh kind of feel like they're not that often happening, but... The way that I learned it is, because of how fucking cramped these fucking quarters are, there's literally no room to put your elbows behind you or put your elbows anywhere else. So they literally would put their elbows on the table, 
as a standard practice. And this isn't just pirates. This is sailors at this point, by and large. The, 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 the kitchen galleys are just that tight. And therefore, you remind people that you're just a worthless sailor. Now, they did have officers' tables and shit, both in pirate, uh, <laughs> both in pirate ships and, uh, you know, government ships. And then the officers, of course, would have all the space that they would need to eat with their forks and knives. And so I have learned several times from several sources that I'm very embarrassed about now because I don't know if it's true at all. That putting your elbows on the table reminded everybody that you were a worthless, you know, sea dog, that you're a worthless pirate, that you're just a worthless piece of shit deckhand. That's it. And I, I, I've learned this, and I thought, how crazy would it be if that actually held true, <laughs> right? But I thought, but I think about it a lot as I move through life, and I constantly watch ignorance win. Like, ignorance will constantly win out. Even to this day, there are still people who believe that you should not be allowed to be employed in the medical profession if you enjoy THC on your off time. And I gotta say, there's very few people who believe that about alcohol. And that is just one of those things, like, I've done both, kids. (laughs) I don't want to talk about too many drugs that I've done. But I've done a lot of drugs. I've done a lot of both of those. And let me tell you something. I'll take a, I'll take a high fucking nurse over an alcoholic fucking nurse. I'll take a nurse that's high right now. Right now, working on me as is, even if it's urgent care or ER, over a nurse that's an alky but is sober as a judge at that fucking moment. Any day of the goddamn week. That's not even a hard one for me, but I, I, I have been reading, sorry, it's about COVID. I have been reading about like nurses and organizations and what have you, and there are still plenty of hospital systems and what have you that will fire you if they find THC in your system in America right now. It's so fucking crazy to me. So that's just ignorance winning. That's just, that's just no, 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 no. The devil's lettuce is bad and alcohol, you just gotta accept it. Uh, there was a report that came out. I want to say it was from who. It may not have been. It may just been. I've been reading a lot of JAMA, J-A-M-A, reports lately uh, and that sort of thing to try and stay educated about what's going on. Uh, so it may have been a JAMA. Uh, it may have been there. Uh, and it may have been PubMed because good. I'm reading a lot of this shit lately. And uh, it said unequivocally, no amount of alcohol is good for having a long life. Let's just, it just, it said that. And it said that specifically because over the last 30 years, there have been all of these reports going like, oh, you could have a glass of red wine a day and probably live longer. Look at the Sardinia region. Look at the so-called blue zones. For 30 years, those articles have been coming out. And so there was a rather unequivocal study that said, buzzkill wise, uh, booze is not nutritional, basically. It wasn't even mean about it. It wasn't even cruel about it. It basically just said, no, just no amount of drinking is going to make you live longer. It's not, it's not like, it's not like blueberries or like getting enough fiber, walking around. I know that they say it could be good for your heart, but no amount of alcohol is actually good for your heart. So don't drink it if you're just trying to be good to your heart. Is all it said. And the amount of fucking pushback 
that I saw this article receive by like peer reviewers and it's like it's just so funny. And then like these these are people who are as dumb as I am, but they are more educated than me, and they do understand more about medical science and all the rest than I do. And so I've now learned when they're being pissants, but they're use but they're being pissants in their in their incredible diction with their incredible level of knowledge that they've been studying seven to ten years for. But like, here's a here's a quick phrase that you know a doctor doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about and is just mad as shit at you. Ready? Did you consider the global benefits? Global benefits. Remember that one. When a doctor says global benefits, that means you know I I, I don't you know I don't specifically have any medical information to refute you, but uh, you ever consider drinking feels good, asshole? Huh? Everything about that? I'm learning. I'm learning a lot about when doctors just they don't have anything to say, and so like when a doctor's like, oh yeah, 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 COVID's gonna go away, and then it doesn't. Like the first thing they'll say when challenged about that, like if they make like if they're an epidemiologist or virologist or something, like, ah, oh, COVID's gonna go away, and then they get challenged on the like, like uh, have have you considered the historical data? Have you considered the historical data? I wasn't wrong by the historical data. Have you considered the historical data? What does historical data mean? Nothing! When does history start? Whatever they say. <laughs> Did you consider the historical data? They'll say that like, well, you said it was going to go down, but it went to its highest point. And that all happened in the last, you said it was, we were for sure going to go down. That was your view. And now we've got up. What? Did you consider the historical data? The historical data says that I'm much more right than wrong. What? What does that mean? So I've learned a lot of doctor talk when they when they just put their hands on their hips and they have nothing of value to say. They're just like, nah, uh, uh, uh. It turns out that they do that a fair bit. It's uh, it's pretty interesting if you take that away. And then the last thing is, have you ever heard this analogy? This is a fun one for me because I I think it explains a lot about just where we are right now. Have you ever heard the analogy of the monkeys? in the room with the ladder and there's bananas hanging from the ceiling. The chimps with the ladder. If you haven't heard it, here's how the analogy goes. It's an experiment. Didn't, as far as I know, it's, it totally did not happen. Uh, but it's, it's an analogy that sticks around every once in a while. And I, I, did, I was thinking of it this week for, for no good reason. It goes a little something like this. Imagine an experiment where eight chimps are released into a room with not much else for sustenance. But there is a ladder in the middle, and there are a bunch of bananas dangling out of reach. Out. There's nothing else in the room that the chimps can use to climb. It's ladder, or it's nothing. The chimps obviously get in the room, and they start climbing the ladder. But the experiment is that the scientists hit them all with frigid water and angry noises, and they, they make the light strobe on and off. They do a lot of bad sensory to all of the chimps in the room the moment one of them gets on the ladder. And very, very quickly, all of the chips stop going on the ladder. You take one of these eight chimps out, and you introduce a new one in, and they don't understand why the other seven chimps aren't climbing the ladder. But as soon as they start to try and climb it, the other seven chimps will beat them, pull them off, scream at them, and bite them. And they will learn that way that the ladder is to not be climbed. 
you can replace these chimps one by one, the original seven that now remain, and eventually all of the chips will make sure, even though none of them have ever attempted to climb the ladder, even though none of them have ever felt the frigid water, or heard the sirens, or experienced the strobes, and can see and smell the bananas, will bite and yell at and scream and pull at any new chimp that goes up the ladder, because that's what happens. I bring this up because I was looking at this great idea of medical reform. A lot of medical practitioners right now are talking about medical reform the world over because the system is a little bit beleaguered right now, and quite frankly, it doesn't look like it's going to ease up. So there's a lot of talk about how do we reform aspects of medicine under our current conditions and try and make them better going forward. It's not like medicine got magically better one day and then we've been doing it since. In 1884, the U.S. medical system appeared out of nowhere and has existed untouched ever since. Not quite, right? It's been refined and it keeps getting refined. So there's a lot of talk of reformation right now. Not just in the medical system. I've happened to notice in everything. Like I talked about strip uh, strip malls. I can guarantee you I can guarantee you after this, uh, this airs, uh, non-live, that somebody will be sending me a DM about, like, American property values and commercial, I swear to Christ, like, everybody's just horny for reformation at this point. People are like, yeah, 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 you can turn all the golf courses into windmills, what? Yeah, if you turn all the golf courses into windmills, the win- okay, all right, all right, all right, <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> The reason why I bring up all this horniness for reformation and I bring up the system being beleaguered and I bring up the chimp analogy is in the U.S. system, doctors have it real bad for the first couple of years. The system that we use was quite literally come up with by a cocaine enthusiast and it has not really changed since that person came up with it and it keeps residents kind of poor overworked and overstressed for their first couple of years. So I was reading about how Canada is considering, which has better health outcomes per doctor-patient interaction than America, period, just about any category you want to name all the time. They're considering, where they don't have the same residency system as in the U.S., doing an extra year of clinical practice, and it would be, you know, pretty good for, they think, for the reasons that they say. You know, this is the Canadian medical system as a whole saying, we're going we're gonna to increase the amount of years from two to three, and we're going to keep it clinical. We're going to keep it inside kind of hands-on practice. And the amount of doctors who are like 30 to 45, because a lot of these people have profiles assigned and what have you, they want to show you what fancy hospital they work at. They have, to, they have to justify all the stress they went through and everything else they have to show. It has to be worth something. Uh, they're, they're pretty young. We're talking 30 to 45-year-olds. And that means that they just went through the ladder, relatively. They just got beat by all the monkeys for becoming a doctor for no other reason. And they are bloodthirsty to bite and scream and punch the new monkeys. They never say it that way, but they are so excited to make the new doctor's lives hell because that's what happened to them. And they 
are so mad, so mad that there's one year less that they get to do that to a certain group. That a certain group gets to come out and just be their peers without having to go through it. And they have to talk about how good it was and what they really learned about crying in the supply closet 40 hours in. And how good it was for them to have the back pain waking up three hours of sleep to another code. And, and, and. So there's actually kind of a worse thing about human beings and chimpanzees, because humans say, don't step on the ladder, please, new person. We all get punished. Or we can. We can say that. We have that capability, and chimps don't. They, have, they don't have that ability to communicate. But then something worse happens where we can go through something and then use our words to say, and it was good. And everybody else should fucking suffer just like I did. Because it means I'm tough! And when you think about that kind of machismo, like, permeating a medical system, it's really not a surprise that a woman's like, Hey, doc, uh, my uterus hurts. He's like, ha ha, shut up. When you really think about it, it's really not a surprise that you get there uh, when it's that kind of system. So I was just, yeah, let's have a fun show. Let's have a fun show, right? That's all a lot of fun, good stuff? No. I mean, I'm sorry. I kind of think it's just really interesting. It's where my mind has been this week. I promise I'm in a good mood. I promise we're going to rock it out. We're going to enjoy it. But yeah, it is weird how all that stuff conflated this week. This week was a really odd week for information coming back and back again. I was just thinking about The Quiet American when I randomly got that question this week. I was just thinking about the day or two before. That felt so good. Um... You know, a lot of things have felt good. So just real quick, let's get uh, on with that. I bought an exercise bike. Uh, I've got my free weights coming. Yeah. I've got a plan for the exercise bike. I'm going to put it out in the catio in the winter because I run a little bit hot. And then when it comes to uh, summertime, I'm just going to park that bad boy right in front of the AC. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how I'm going to do that. And then... Uh, I have not played cards in a while. Uh, cards have been traditionally throughout my life a pretty good way to, to beat some stress. And so the plan is, because I miss my card games after, after a couple of months, uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, get a tablet, just a cheap little shitty tablet. Like, seriously, like a $25 tablet off Wish-style tablet. Because all I need for it to do is be able to turn on. I'm talking like an Etch-A-Sketch level fucking tablet. Because all I need is for it to fucking turn on and connect to, uh, to Battle.net and let me play cards. And I'm going to only allow myself to play cards on the exercise bike. I'm going to work up to that. And that's how I'm going to get that going. I'm going to play my cards on exercise bike. You know, not forever. This isn't like a permanent thing, but just for a while. Let's really, let's really get on the exercise bike when it's at home. It's, it's, I can tell you right now, I know myself. And therefore, just last year, I was super excited before Delta came out and the math came out that every single, every single gym in the world was a Delta fucking goddamn nest of vipers. But here's a funny thing. Waking up, getting into new clothes, and going down to the gym to jump onto an exercise bike will be easier for me than walking out, opening a door, 
and putting my ass on an exercise bike. I can guarantee you. I don't know why. But it's been so much harder for me to stretch at home than it was at a gym. There's something about actually getting the clothes on and going to the gym where you're like, well, fuck it, I'm here. <laughs> ah! <laughs> why? I could have driven myself to an Applebee's. I could have driven myself to a Dave and Buster's. I could have driven myself to a Redbox. I could have driven myself to a sweet little lady who don't care what I look like so long as I call her baby girl. But instead, I drove to a fucking gym. Because I'm smart. Oh, yeah. Look at me, big smart man. But then you get you then you get in the front door, you work out for a couple minutes, and suddenly like, hey, this is fine. Hey, this is good. Hey. What I would not give to have the ability to turn into a dog vis-a-vis -vis exercise just 30 to 60 minutes a day. Just a little button or like a little like an RPG, a once-a-day skill, 24-hour cooldown DND system, and you can just be like, dog form! And then like, yay, exercise bike! <laughs> and then dog form wears off, and you're like, you know, maybe I was unfair towards House of Cards. Maybe I should give that a rewatch. Ah, ah, a third Battlestar Galactica, you say? Hmm, perhaps I should watch the first two all over again. Perhaps there is some information that I need to fight the Cylons. And just revert right back. Be great. I just want to become a werewolf, but about exercise, and only for about 60 minutes a day. Is that so hard to ask? So I think that's going to go well. Um... I have gotten countless, countless, by which I mean I can't really count more than like five off the top of my head. So countless amount of compliments uh, and praise saying that I sound better than ever, that I sound really well, my voice and my attitude, everything else. Everybody who has sent in something along those lines, thank you so much. Because it, it, you know, it, it's great being back. Sincerely, it's great being back. But also... It's hard to get back on track. I do, a, I do a lot of work when I'm doing the full thing. And so getting everything going bit by bit, it's been, it's, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't come together all at once. It's not like riding a bike. It has, I, I, the first time I had to upload questions, I literally sat there. And I mean, I sat there doing nothing but staring at the screen for 10 minutes going, okay, what program did I use? to fucking send the questions to Allie. What questions? It took me an hour to like remember like what, I know I didn't add a program. I know I didn't delete a program. Which of these did I use? Just, it was just so automatic. I really didn't think about it and I used programs, I used several, in case you think that's insane and you're wondering like, he can't remember names, he can't remember this, is he losing his mind? Is his brain being eaten? Uh, hopefully because I'll only have a better time if I get dumber, I think, personally. But no, uh, I use every every program I use, I use several different ways. And so I just, I, I open three programs. I'm like, mm, I know it's in here. I just, where is it? <laughs> muscle memory, go! But then it wouldn't, muscle memory, go! Muscle memory, go! Go! 
Like Tobey Maguire trying to shoot the shoot the Spider-Man cartridge in the first movie. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> it's not working. But then it came back. So, but I mean this, but the second time I did it, muscle memory. I didn't even think about it. I didn't even think about that I didn't think about it. I literally started the process of sending it over to Allie, of scraping it out and sending it over to Allie without even thinking. I jumped up and I got tea while it was doing like I normally would. So it all comes back. It's all right there. But it is a little hard getting back into things. If you take a long vacation, it does take a while to get back. That neuroplasticity and everything else. So everybody who sent in extra love, everybody who sent in a compliment, all your nice words, I say from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much, baby girl. Should I even do that bigger? Thank you very much, baby girl. It means so much to me that you did. Something like that? Yeah? Okay. It really does. Okay! That's a lot of rattling. If anybody... I put a disclaimer before I start the show show. I put a disclaimer up. If anybody yells at me about that's not how the elbows on the table start, I will cry. I will cry and I'll feel bad. Don't do it. Don't make me cry. Will I actually cry? No. Will my ego actually be hurt? Yes. Is that normal? Daily. <laughs> Should you concern yourself with it? No. Do I want to hear it anyway? No! I'm already... I'm sensitive about the shoe thing. I, I perpetuated a myth. It's not the first time I've did it. <laughs> it's a good story, and it makes sense to me, and I want it to be true. I'm still mad that it didn't happen because 14-year-old boys were like, My feet hurts. The cold has cast a mighty temptation upon my toes, and I fear it may sever them before the light. That's what I want to believe. That's how 14-year-olds talked back then, right? <laughs> That's right. We have fun here. We talk about child soldiers uh, dying, and we, we enjoy it. Here we go. <sighs> okay, real quick. All right, sorry. Allie, Allie just said something, and now I got to talk about a, a story that's happening in America. Allie just said, this is how 14-year-olds talk right now, and I just got to, there's a story going on in, in, in America. I've been screaming about it for three months. It's finally making headlines. It's one of those things where I, I actually had enough internet for the day, and I closed out as soon as I read it uh, three months ago. So, in America, we are real far apart from what we want. Like, our ports are all over the place, and our rail system's all over the place, so we need to have a lot of truckers. We don't just like having truckers on the road. We need them. And we don't have nearly enough. And so about three months ago, the Department of uh, Transportation, the federal department in the U.S. that determines the rules of the road for federal stuff, said, uh, well, if you don't have enough truckers, we'll just lower the age from 21 to 18. And, and that's recently gone through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So under the Biden administration, not Trump, under Biden, <laughs> the age for truckers was lowered from 21 to 18. And as somebody who has, like, listened to James Earl Jones's CB radio, I don't, I've, I've talked about this before, James Earl Jones, after Darth Vader came out as a character, was still driving around in a truck with a CB, with a CB radio going like, this is uh, Darth Radio. <sighs> 
10-4. Like, he was doing that over CB. I've heard him. All right? So as somebody who's heard a lot of CB radio, I got to say, the idea of the 18-year-old truck <laughs> Smokey and the Bandit remake is kind of hot. It's like, breaker, breaker. Breaker, breaker. This is X. This is small X, larger X, 420, pussy slayer. Larger X, smaller X. Come in. Come in. I read you 420, pussy. This is Pawn the Noobs. We're going real fast here. I don't really know how to read the dial, because I never learned how to read a clock. They dropped that from U.S. curriculum. True story. <laughs> Keep this line clear. Who the hell was that? This is Asmode from Hell. Asmode from Hell? <gasps> He's an old hand. He's been doing this for eight months. All right. My, that's my, that's my teenage trucker, teenage big rig CV sketch that I didn't really get all the way out. But I mean, I just think it's one of the funniest things to fucking imagine. 18-year-olds at truck stops being all like, what can I get you, hon? It's like, chocolate milk and a Kit Kat. And my mommy! Some some cherubic 18-year-old. You drive 100 miles every day. In falsetto. Here we go. <clears throat> First poem. And it connects to our 18-wheelers. Fantastic. Oh, wow. I'm going to have to really try and do a straight face on this one. Here comes the Hugh Laurie straight face. Because this, this, this actually goes directly into my shitty Neil Young impression that I accidentally just did. Here we go. Straight face. Straight face. <clears throat> Driving out of town, I see him crossing the Brooks Pharmacy parking lot and remember how he would drop to his knees in the kitchen and press his face to my dress, his cheek flat against my belly as if he were listening for something. Somebody might be waiting for coffee in the living room. Someone might be setting the dining room table. He'd place his face under my dress and press his cheek against my belly and kneel there without saying anything. How is it possible that I am allowed to see him like this, walking quickly by the glass windows, what he wears in the world without me, his hands swinging by his side, his cock quiet in his jeans, his shirt covering his shoulders, his tongue in his own mouth? Separation by Marie Howe Uh-oh. <clears throat> I still haven't figured out how to keep my shower floor clean or make morning smoothies or respond to stress calmly. Same, 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 my friends tell me. A love note of sorts. Maybe the world doesn't need us to cut down on carbs or make more money or waste less time. Maybe instead it needs us to reach those who feel alone in their messy homes or difficult relationships or unresolved issues. To impress less and connect more. To share one simple message. 
same, 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 same. Same by Hannah Rosenberg. Well, that was a lovely message, and I agree with it very much. It's very much my attitude these days. This is what I can do is charm you and take the worst news of the week and try and make you laugh about it. <clears throat> Three in a group, then one coming from a distance to make four dividing into two savaging pairs. They waddle like ducks, dibble like robins, this close to the earth they have nothing to say. And yet, as they bobble in a hands-behind-back colloquially of feints and nods, they are the ankle boots of an idea gone missing. Their laces threaded through eyelets but left untied, accountants of random expertures, connoisseurs of the worm's catacombs of waste. They are limp eastward, towards the mountains, covered in contractor bag capes, one wiry boot, then the other on the ground. If they would just stay where they are all morning, they'd be the moment to the history they're looking for. Sorry, they'd be the monument to the history they're looking for. Morning crows in a fresh mound. Ooh, morning crows in a fresh morn field before rain by Michael Collier, C-O-L-L-I-E-R. Michael Collier, I was having trouble saying your words, magic man. Pretty fancy talk there, buddy. <clears throat> Consider how it recalls the simple movements, how it always shoots the right foot first. It never forgets where to hold tight the apex of a cursive G before rounding the sloping curve. The body never betrays. But how many times have you confused anticipate with expect? Forgotten the names of novels you read, left your keys in the door, lost your father's birthday, your best friend's last name. Memories flake like dead skin, carpet the hardwood floors. Your last birthday settling over your first fight in sixth grade. No, the body doesn't betray Years of use never doles memory's blade. Every action embedded through muscle into bone. It's still able to unlock every act, even if you've forgotten how. The Body You Remember, Gary Jackson <clears throat> Everyone forgets Icarus also flew. It's the same when love comes to an end, or the marriage fails and people say they knew it was a mistake, that everybody said it would never work, but that she was old enough to know better. But anything worth doing is worth doing badly. <laughs> like being there by that summer ocean on the other side of the island while love was fading out of her, the stars burning so extravagantly those nights that anyone could tell you they would never last. Every morning she was asleep in my bed like a visitation, the gentleness in her antelope standing in the dawn mist. Each afternoon I watched her coming back through the hot stony field after swimming, the sea light behind her, and the huge sky on the other side of that, listened to her while we ate lunch. How can they say the marriage failed? 
like the people who came back from Provence, when it was Provence, and said it was pretty, but the food was greasy. I believe Icarus was not falling as he fell, but coming to the end of his triumph. Failing and Flying by Jack Gilbert well, I, I do believe anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. So you got me, Jack. <clears throat> I carry your heart with me. I carry it in my heart. I am never without it. Anywhere you go, my dear, and whatever it is done by only me is your doing, my darling. No fate, for you are my fate, my sweet. I want no world, for beautiful you are my world, my true. And it's you are whatever a moon has always meant, and whatever a sun will always sing is you. Here in the deepest secret nobody knows, here in the root of the root of the bud of the bud of the sky of the sky of a tree called life which grows higher than soul can hope, mind can hide, and that is a wonder that's keeping the stars apart. I carry your heart. I carry it in my heart. I carry your heart. E. E. Cummings. Lie still, my love, and do not speak, because in silence is fulfilling of these laws. Fastidious sorcery lives not in speech, but each devoutly take the hand of each, but lightly and without emphasis of pressure or persuasion of a kiss. Breathe now, breath diminished to the least, narrow your eyelids to entreat the beast, make softer glances, never show surprise, discovering the lion in his eyes, the little lion like a burning bush. Approach languidly with hush and hush, side from the padding velvet, see him crouch and spurn the carpet from the painted crouch like a gilt feather on pillows tossed. Lie still, my love, lie still, or all is lost. From violence of lust remote withdrawn, he shudders delicately to a yawn, and with their pulses in mute accord lies down between these lovers like a sword. The Persian Kitty Eleanor Wiley W-Y-L-I-E Now, some poems I read for the first time and I don't know what to do with them. And then some poems I read and they come out of me like that. And all I can say is, I fucking nailed that one. It's like I wrote that one. I knew where that one was going the whole time. That one felt fantastic to read. That one was a weird one, and I'm like, I'm with you. I get it. I go, I know where we're going. I get this. This I understand. Sometimes with these poems, they're like, Sir, I'm going to talk to you directly, and then I'm going to use a big metaphor, and I'm going to use a lot of fancy words in between. I'm like, I, this is my first time here, buddy. If I'm reading it, and I'm seeing it, and I know how to do it, and I'm still confused, what the hell is the audience doing? I often wonder. All right, all right. I'm just getting love. Everyone's saying, move on, buddy. We've heard enough of you. We're not here for you, buddy. Just use the voice. It makes our parts tingle. Come on. 
No is a necessary magic. No draws a circle around you with chalk and says, I have given enough. Boundaries by Michaela Robin. Yeah, that's pretty fucking good. I'm not even going to make a magical threat joke after that one. That's fucking good, Michaela. You nailed it. One of my favorite poems of all time is a guy says simply, there's a baby upstairs crying. And then he lists a bunch of analogies about how loud and horrible the crying is, but all of them are just struck out. He strikes them all out, every single one, and then the poem becomes just all of these strikeouts end. There's a baby upstairs wailing. It sounds like crying. It's one of my favorite poems of all time. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Do you remember the first time you were called annoying? How your breath stopped short in your chest, the way the light drained from your eyes, how you knew your cheeks were ablaze, the way your throat tightened as you tried to form an argument that got lost on your tongue. Your eyes never left the floor that day. You were 13. You're 20 now, and I still see the light fade from your eyes when you talk about your interests for too long. Apologies littering every other sentence, words trailing off a cliff that you haven't jumped off from seven years. I could listen to you forever, though. I know speaking for more than three uninterrupted minutes makes you anxious. All I want you to know is, you deserve to be heard. For three minutes? For ten minutes, for two hours, forever. There will be people who cannot handle your grace, your beauty, your wisdom, your heart, mostly because they can't handle their own. But you will never be and have never been too much. Too Much by Tyler Ford I think I was searching for treasures or stones in the clearest of pools when your face, when your face, like the moon in a well where I might wish, might well wish, for the iced fire of your kiss, only on water on my lips, where your face, where your face was reflected, lovely, not really there when I turned to look behind at the emptying air. The emptying air. By Carol Ann Duffy. Hmm. I definitely didn't read that the way that she intended. I don't know how I was supposed to do it with those double lines. For sure, that's not her intent. <laughs> My apologies to Miss Duffy. <clears throat> Carry me down into that liquid place again, where we meet without talking. Even though sometimes we're talking where we laugh without making a sound, the punchlines floating off untethered, and the corner of your mouth tilting up like commas around some beautiful phrase, we don't have to try to remember. Wedge your knee behind my thighs and slip your fingers into me again. 
Let them be glazed with human light and lift them to your lips. Let them tell you what they found. I'll kneel before the sunset of your skin, its pale tone beginning to blush evenly. Every sail inspired to read, pushing towards the ruddiness of purpose, that sigh. My hands will wrap over the tendons of your wrists to hold you there, lowered over me like clouds before a storm, the enormous thunder, and then ride the rain. Hmm. By Molly Fish. Damn, that was pretty erotic. Someone with the last name Fish, and just so horny. All right, that was the last of the poems. I thought we had one more. I hope you've enjoyed the poetry. Now, why don't you get nice and comfy, and we'll read you some love letters. What do you say? In three words, I can sum up everything I've learned about life. It goes on. In all the confusions of today, with all our troubles, with politicians and people slinging the word feel around, all of us become discouraged, tempted to say, this is the end, the finish. But life, it goes on, it always has, it always will. Don't forget that. Robert Frost to Humanity on his 80th birthday. Right after that, he said, Also, you're getting the road less traveled wrong, assholes. Just saying. That, they, didn't, they, didn't, they cut out that part, but he did say that. You're getting the interpretation totally wrong. Bobby Frosty here. <clears throat> I'm so sorry to hear that life is getting you down at the moment. Goodness knows, it can be so tough when nothing else seems fit and little seems to be fulfilling. I'm not sure there's any specific advice I can give that will help bring life back its savor. Although they mean well, it's sometimes quite galling to be reminded how much people love you when you don't love yourself that much. Whew. I've found that it's some help to think of one's mood and feelings about the world as being similar to weather. Here are obvious things about the weather. It's real. You can't change it by wishing it away. If it's dark and rainy, it really is dark and rainy, and you can't alter it. It might be dark and rainy for two weeks in a row. But it will be sunny one day. It isn't under one's control as to when the sun comes out, but come out it will. One day. It really is the same with one's moods, I think. The wrong approach is to believe that there are illusions. They are real. Depression, anxiety, listlessness. They are as real as the weather. And equally not under one's control. Not one's fault. But! They will pass. They really will. In the same way that one has to accept the weather, so one has to accept how one feels about life sometimes. Today's a crap day is a perfectly realistic approach. It's all about finding a kind of mental umbrella. Hey-ho, 
It's raining outside. It isn't my fault, and there's nothing I can do about it, but sit it out. But the sun may well come out tomorrow, and when it does, I shall take full advantage. I don't know if any of that is of any use. It may not seem it, and if so, I am sorry. I just thought I'd drop you a line to wish you well in your search to find a little bit more pleasure and purpose in life. Very best wishes. Stephen Fry. Stephen Fry to someone named Crystal, uh, a fan, is what's listed here. Mm. I already love in you your beauty, but I am only beginning to love in you that which is eternal and ever precious, your heart, your soul. Beauty one could get to know and fall in love with in one hour and cease to love it as speedily. But the soul one must learn to know. Believe me, nothing on earth is given without labor, even love, the most beautiful and natural of feelings. Love Letter from Tolstoy to his fiancée. Yeah, that Tolstoy. I don't know if he ever wrote anything else. I've never heard of him before, but, uh, you know, maybe that kid's going places. My golden child, my pearl, my precious stone, my crown, my queen, and empress. Your dear darling of my heart, my highest and most precious, my all, my everything, my wife, my baptism of my children, my tragic play, my posthumous reputation. Ah, oh, you are my second better self, my virtues, my merits, my hope, the forgiveness of my sins, my future sanctity. Oh, little daughter of heaven, my child of God, my intercessor, my guardian angel, my cherubim and seraph, how I love you. The Grey Knight talking to any woman who brings him food. Oh, I'm sorry, Henry von Clisset to uh, Adolphine Henrietta Vogel. There we go, okay. <laughs> <clears throat> Hey, I gotta get some licks in here. It's a lot of serious stuff. My dearest Gertrude, you will be sorry and surprised and puzzled to hear what a queer illness I have ever since you went. I sent for the doctor and said, Give me some medicine, for I'm tired. He said, Nonsense and stuff. You don't want medicine. Go to bed. I said, No, this isn't the sort of tiredness that wants bed. It's a tiredness in the face. He looked a little grave and said, Oh, it's your nose that's tired. A person that often talks too much when he thinks he knows a great deal. I said, no, that isn't the nose. Perhaps it is the hair. He looked rather grave and said, now I understand. You've been playing too many hairs on pianoforte. Pianoforts. Uh. I don't know how to say that word. I'm just realizing I don't know how to say that word out loud. Is it forte or fort? Pianofort. F-O-R-T. Anyway. Uh, no, indeed, I haven't, I said. And it isn't exactly the hair. It's more about the nose and the chin. And he looked a great deal graver. He said, have you been walking much on your chin lately? And I said, no. Well, he said, it puzzles me very much. 
Do you think it's in the lips? Of course, I said. That's exactly what it is. And he looked very grave indeed and said, I think you must have been giving too many kisses. Well, I said, I did give one kiss to a baby child, a little friend of mine. Think again, he said. Are you sure it was only one? I thought again and said, Perhaps it was eleven times. And then the doctor said, You must not give her any more till your lips are quite rested again. But what am I to do? I said. Because, you see, I owe her a hundred and eighty-two more. Then he looked so grave that tears ran down his cheeks, and he said, You may send them to her in a box. I then remembered a little box that I once bought at Dover, and thought I would some day give it to a little girl or other, so I have packed it all very carefully. Tell me if they come safe, or if they're lost on the way. <laughs> okay, we're going to take a little, we're going to take a little segue here. Uh, this is from Lewis Carroll to Gertrude Chataway, uh, which is, which is spelled exactly like it sounds, one word, C-H-A-T-A-W-A-Y, Chataway. I'm going to remember that one, that's a great last name. Never heard of a Chataway before, and it's a real name, apparently. We're going to take a little pause on that one. Normally, I wouldn't care that a guy was saying little girl in the 1800s. Uh, that's pretty fair. I was actually just reading a song uh, by a woman that I know is a woman who was in her 30s or 40s when she wrote it, and she has the lyrics. I was actually just reading it. It's a, it's a longtime favorite of mine, Burn the Bee. And she has a, a song where she go, where she sings over and over again, I'm a girl and you're a man. So there's nothing really wrong with saying little girl or anything like that, normally. I wouldn't have an issue with it. But fun, not so fun fact about Lewis Carroll, uh, he did like painting children naked and only female children naked. And before we get any further on that one, uh, I've had a number of people who have history degrees and have art degrees assure me that in 1800s England, oh, this was not that uncommon. And up until fairly recently, painting children naked was not that uncommon. But <laughs> did they also write stories about 13-year-old girls going on big girl adventures where they come back all changed and all these kinds of love stories and all the rest too? No, by and large they didn't. Lewis Carroll, what's going on there? Am I overly suspicious of this guy because of my place in history compared to his? Or am I reading this guy right? That's a, it's a weird confluence of events, right? <laughs> it's a, like, one of these things alone, you're like, sure, who gives a shit? You put them all together, it's like, is this like the Michael Jackson buying a ring for a 14-year-old story where no matter how you spin it, I get very, very weirded out by your defense? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like one of those things where it's like oh don't defend it any defense that you offer is just gonna be weirder for me than just saying it's weird oh don't no 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 you're not gonna convince me it's less weird you're only gonna convince me you're more so <laughs> as as i say if you ever see me in public in a jewelry store with a girl who looks like she's in middle or high school you're allowed to take some pictures you're allowed. You're allowed to. You're allowed to call that to someone's attention. I give you my permission. Should ever that occur, and you know why? That's the Jack guarantee, the Grey Knot guarantee. Because we're gonna find out. She's like the daughter of my girlfriend or something. Bet guarantee. So come on, bring it on. Go ahead, shoot it out there. <laughs> I'm ready for it, baby. You're not gonna Michael Jackson me. Mm -mm. 
<laughs> All right, here we go. <clears throat> I just had to get that out because my blood was hot knowing who was writing that letter. I wasn't going to say anything because it's love letter time. And then he kept going, little girl, little girl, the doctor said, I got to kiss you. Oh, that sounds like it could be okay. That sounds like a Van Halen song. But it didn't come from Van Halen. So, couldn't that be like a David Lee Roth? You're telling me that couldn't? Little girl, little girl won't kiss you. And it would be okay, I think. I'm pretty sure David Lee Roth's not a perv. I'd be all right with him calling a woman a little girl, just like me. (laughs) All right, all right. Shake it off. You have so much fun here with all the news stories that I bring you. Yay. (sighs) Darling, my darling, one line in haste to tell you that I love you more today than ever in my life before, that I never see beauty without thinking of you or scent happiness without thinking of you. You have fulfilled all my ambition, realized all of my hopes, made all of my dreams come true. You have set a crown of roses on my youth and fortified me against the disaster of our days. Your contagious gaiety has inspired me with joy. Your tender faithfulness has been a rock of security and comfort. I have felt for you all kinds of love and once. I have asked so much of you, and you have never failed me. You have intensified all colors, heightened all beauty, deepened all delight. I love you more than life, my beauty, my wonder. Duff Cooper to his future wife, Diana. And because I don't know who Duff Cooper is, I can't ruin it. So let's just go on to the last love letter. (laughs) No idea who he is, so she could be 13 and we're all happy. Yay! I don't care. Who cares? I already did my part. (laughs) Miss Adorable... By the same token that the bear hereof sat up with you last night, I hereby order you to give him as many kisses and as many hours of your company after nine o'clock as he shall please to demand and charge them to my account. This order or requisition, call it what you will. It is consideration of a similar order upon Aurora for the like favor, and I presume I have good right to draw upon you for the kisses, as I have given two or three million at least, and one has been received, and of consequence the account between us is immensely in favor of yours. (laughs) Again, unfortunately I know who this guy is, and he's an asshole, so that really does take a lot away from it. John Adams to his wife, Abigail Adams. Written 20 years before, he's all like, we can break the hands of of journalists we don't like, though, right? But, like, we can break the hands, like, so they can't, so they stop writing things about me I don't like, right? We can break their hands. That's not cruel or unusual, is it? It is? Are you sure? Let's invent the attorney general's office and ask them. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. I'm president. America's always been this place, people. Okay. Uh, Allie, I'm so sorry. I moved the two around. 
Uh, is Sin With Me the serious one? I don't want to read too much. I, I have the titles in front of me. I'm so sorry, guys. Just one second. Okay, thank you so much. We're going to do the funny porn. That was the last of the love letters. Sorry for too much... Sorry for too much editorializing, but you gave me people I knew. And when you know someone, it's harder to love them. Haven't you learned anything from Netflix series? They only canceled the good ones after the first season. The first seasons always get canceled right... No! It's if it went on for three more seasons, you'd hate it! You'd hate it! But I guarantee you, season four of The Witcher, like, the horse is literally going to be on top of buildings and shit, and you'll be like, see? Like the game! Do you see? The horse is on top of the building like the game. Please share it on social media. All right. All right. Here we go. Funny jokes. <clears throat> Ashley and James had been called in on their day off to clean up a spill of material that was causing safety concerns for the other workers. Mmm, sexy. That meant shoveling the material into a wheelbarrow and dumping it into a chute about 30 feet away so it could be recycled into the process. Their supervisor had pleaded with them after everyone else declined. So here they were, just the two of them, shoveling. They had been at it for several hours when they could see the end of the spill. Their supervisor came to them and assessed the progress. He asked them if they wanted a meal brought in as they were entitled to one. Ashley shook her head. Just pay me out the meal. I've got lots of leftovers at home. James also shook his head. I just want to get out of here when we're done. So the supervisor went away, and the two of them resumed shoveling. It took them less than an hour to finish cleaning up the spill. As they put away their shovels, they called their supervisor to tell him they were done. The supervisor came out of the office and handed them a somber look on his face. I've got bad news, guys. We've got no water for showers. I just found out ten minutes ago. Sorry. How can we not have water and still have the plant running? asked Ashley. Well, the process uses untreated water directly from the river. The showers use potable water, and as the area is out of water... There's been a major problem at the treatment plant. They're working to fix it. James asked, How widespread is this water shortage? I need a moment. <laughs> I swear to you, I swear to you, this is an instructional film from the 60s that they showed us in school. I swear to you, this is an instructional black and white film from the 60s about municipal water plants, and they showed it to us in school. I remember. I can see the glasses on his face and everything. Ah! Okay, all right. How widespread is the water shortage? From what I've heard, it affects the whole west side of the city, the eastern part, which is on a different water system. Still has water. I gotta go, guys. Wife and I are taking the kids to the in-laws tonight. They live in the east part. Thanks for coming in. The supervisor walked away, leaving Ashley and James to just stand there. How the heck will I clean up? I don't even know anyone who lives in the East, and I sure don't feel like driving two hours to my sister's or renting a room. James genuinely looked dumbfounded. Well, you could come with me. I live in the eastern part of the city. I only have one washroom in my condo, but we could take turns. <laughs> but we could take... Uh, 
I just want to make clear that I'm inviting you back as a co-worker to shower my place. One at a time, James. Just really gotta lay that one down, James. As a single woman, I'm gonna invite you back to my place, even though I feel like I explicitly have to say, you will not be joining me concurrently in the shower, James. Okay. <laughs> you sure you don't mind? Says James. No, not at all. Let's go. I'll meet you in the parking lot. They went to the locker rooms and grabbed their bags to meet up in the parking lot. <laughs> yes, they did, Story. Yes, they did. From there, James followed Ashley all the way to her condo building. She lowered her window and motioned for him to park in her visitor space and went onto her own parking space. James joined her there and went up to the condo, chit-chatting about the building. I can't do a robot voice every, every time, guys. I know some of you are waiting for it. I can't do it every time or else it's like it's not, I'm not even doing it. But I'm not going to do the robot voice every time it gets robotic. That's ridiculous. <laughs> James, James joined. Oh, my God, the patheticness. I already get yelled at by my cat all day. My cat already pretends I don't feed her. I don't need this from you assholes. I'm here. I'm here to give you a show. You don't need to do me dirty like this. Come on. I came here. I'm mostly sober. I'm all relaxed. I came here to put on a show, but do it good. You don't need to you don't need to do the pitiful thing. My God. <clears throat> okay, sorry. James joined her there and went up to the condo, chit-chatting about the building while they made their way. <laughs> I'm glad they shared some chit-chat. I wonder what it was. <laughs> <laughs> On the way there, they stopped over at a restaurant and had food. <laughs> Once inside the condo, James looked around and said, Nice! Glad you like it. Feel free to look around. Ashley went to the linen closet and took out a large towel and a washcloth. She motioned to the washroom. Want to go first? You don't want to go first? It's your shower. Nah, I can wait. You don't have to wait if you don't want to, James said, a twinkle in his eyes. Ashley smiled coyly and asked, What are you suggesting, James? James took a few steps that separated him from Ashley and gently touched her cheek with the back of his fingers. I'm suggesting that maybe we could wash each other's backs and save a little bit of water. Hmm, sounds interesting. Then James bent down and softly kissed her. Then he grabbed the towel and washcloth, pulling his arms around her shoulder, pulling her into the washroom. In there, both James and Ashley remained quiet as they watched each other get undressed. Ashley reached into the bath shower and turned the water on to warm it up. Before she could reach for her bra, James reached for her shoulders and turned her around. Then he gently undid the clasp on her bra and pushed the straps off her shoulder. <laughs> what a power move! What a power move to turn a woman back to you to then undo the bra when the latch was facing you that right then. What a fucking power move! Like, nah, bitch, I undo the latches in this relationship. I drive that car. Ashley tossed the bra to the side and turned around to face James. Keeping her eyes firmly on him, Ashley reached for his boxers and pushed down. Then, it was his turn to push down on hers, never breaking the eye-to-eye -eye contact. 
Both of them got into the shower, and Ashley quickly got her hair wet with shampoo and swapped places with James, allowing him to get wet while she reached for the shampoo bottle. She squirted some shampoo into his open hand and then into her own. They both lathered up their hair, and then they took turns rinsing. Then, Ashley reached into the washcloth and soaked it up. They rinsed and repeated like the bottle direction said. She turned around, and James gave her a gentle washing on her back and leaned on the wall of the tub. Ashley washed his back and lowered cloth to his rump! And lowering the cloth to his rump! And while she was washing it said, I finally get to feel the nicest ass on the planet. Even if I stink, and even if Ashley was hot as fuck, because we have no idea what Ashley looks like. We know that Ashley has breasts, possibly a pussy. Not sure. Has not been confirmed yet. Hair color, skin color, eye color. We don't know what Ashley looks like at all. So if I found Ashley super hot, if I thought she was a smoke show, and she, and she said that to me in the shower, in the shower, I'm pretty committed at this point, in the shower, I think I'm out. I think I'm finishing that shower and I'm getting the fuck out of Dodge. <laughs> what did you just say? I got to feel the nicest ass on the planet. Do you expect me to do you expect me to buy that? <laughs> We're jump just, you know, just start small. Oh, it's so big. Oh, it's so big. You know, gentle. Gentle with the ego massaging. Don't go all the way. James let out a laugh and turned around. My turn. Hand me that cloth. Ashley didn't argue and turned around to allow him access to her back. James gently washed Ashley's back. When he got to her backside, he leaned in and whispered, My turn to fill up the nicest ass on the planet. <laughs> they can't both have the nicest ass, mathematically speaking. Ashley slowly turned around and grabbed the washcloth and slowly washed his arms and torso. When she was done with the top, Ashley dropped to her knees, ignoring the obvious arousal close to her face. Ashley focused on washing his feet and legs. She then stood up and handed the washcloth to James. Don't do a drinking story with this fucking story and washcloth. Don't do it. Don't do a drinking game with this story and washcloth. Don't do it. Don't do it. You'll die. Your turn. You missed a spot. No, didn't miss it. Just keeping it for later. Like dessert. Exactly. <laughs> James followed Ashley's lead and washed Ashley's arms, torso, and legs, avoiding her breasts and her vulva. Kiwi Herman fucking magic word going off on the server when you say vulva. They say moist is their least favorite word, but then they hear vulva. <laughs> then he handed her the cloth. Without saying a word, Ashley grabbed the cloth and soaked up her right hand shaft in tight balls. She wrenched everything and stood up handing him the cloth. I told you, don't drink. Holy shit. And James mirrored what Ashley had done, gently washing Ashley's breast and... Vo, vo. 
Then, then she gave him back the washcloth. <laughs> Woo! Thank you to whoever submitted this one. This is just, this is just a special kind of hell. Ashley sank to her knees, tossing the cloth aside, and grabbed his hard cock. Then she kissed the tip of it and licked the underside. James let out a moan and braced himself on the wall on the curtain rod. Ashley took him into her mouth and gently sucked while her hand played with his balls. James moaned and soon, under his actions on his cock, couldn't help himself and started to move back and forth. You can help it, James. You can help it. I know what you're saying, but you can help it, James. Ashley continued to gently roll his balls in one hand and stroked his long, hard cock with the other while sucking on his cock and rubbing the underside of his cock with her tongue. What a sentence. One more time. Ashley continued to roll his balls in one hand and stroked his long, hard cock with the other hand sucking on his cock and rubbing the underside of his cock with her tongue. Whoo! Soon, she sensed that she was on the verge of stroking even harder. <laughs> she also rubbed her tongue on his cock in a more concentrated manner. Very considerate, Ashley. James suddenly let go of the curtain rod and put his hand in her wet hair, pulling her deep onto his cock as he came. Ashley felt the hot splurts at the back of her throat and smiled! <laughs> <laughs> around his cock. When he was done, Ashley swallowed... I don't want to know what kind of crazy-ass joker from a comic book smile she's doing. I would not want to see that shit looking down, though. That would haunt me. When he was done, Ashley swallowed it all and turned to the shower to drink... To drink up some water! What the fuck is going on in this story? <laughs> then... She turned to kiss him! Their first real kiss! Oh, fuck me. Oh, doctor. Oh, doctor, doctor. Between grabbing my ass and saying that's the nicest ass on the planet, smiling around my dick as I come inside your mouth, and then immediately holding your head under the faucet to gargle that out before giving me a kiss, I am definitely finding a new job. I am not returning to work. At the factory on the west side. Hold on. That's not fair. The factory could be on the north or south side. I'm sorry. That's not fair. That's not fair of me. I didn't mean to I didn't mean to take the west side down like that. We we don't have a lot of information in this story. <laughs> we know a lot about the water system. We know a lot about the plumbing, which side of the river is going where, the factory, the municipal uh, water scheme. We know a lot about the infrastructure. Don't know a lot else. (laughs) When they pulled apart, breathless, James said, I'd like to return the favor, but that might be difficult in here. Mind if we go to your bed? Wasn't a problem when she was doing it, eh, James? Oh, no problem giving, getting head inside of a fucking active shower on the fucking porcelain. Oh, but doing it suddenly, oh, you know, it could be on the knees. Oh, fuck you, James. <laughs> Ashley turned off the shower and grabbed the towel and started drying James's body. He grabbed her towel and started drying her hair. They took t- their time drying each other, stopping now and then. To kiss. When they were dried, they headed towards Ashley's room. There, James pushed Ashley onto her bed and bent down over her and kissed her. 
After leaving her breathless, he slowly kissed his way down her body, pausing to tease her nipples to perked peaks. <laughs> they weren't aroused before, James? Even with all the water and temperature shifts, James? Then he headed to his ultimate destination, between her legs. Ashley moaned when he first touched his tongue between her nether lips. <sighs> he used his fingers gently for her folds and allow him access to her pleasure nub. Whoa! Whoa! So I, I played a, just real quick author's note. <clears throat> I played a, a Sidney Poitier movie on the server last week. Uh, from from the year 1950, literally, because I'm going over Sidney Poitier. And it's a great movie. It's called No Way Out. It's really, really good. But I have to put a trigger warning on it because this movie is the most vehemently racist, just, just, just language-wise movie I've ever seen in my life. Like, there are scenes where they're just saying the N-word, sure, over and over and over again. But then there's also scenes where, like, all these old, old terms for a black person that I don't really know, I mean, I know faintly of, will also just get, like, spewed out machine gun fire, just like, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I don't need to repeat any of them. They're 1950s slang. There's no value in you knowing them. But, like, you hear them just, like, rapid fire, right? And it's just like this story is doing the exact same thing except with the worst possible names to call a pussy or a vagina if pussy's too much for you. It's like a rapid fire. It's like a rolling ball, snowball, of, of the worst possible things that you could say about a woman's body. So we're just going to get through this. We're gonna, I'll let you count how many horrible descriptions of a pussy you hear in this one paragraph. Here we go. <clears throat> Ashley moaned when she felt the first touch of his tongue between her nether lips. He used his fingers gently to part her folds and allow him access to her pleasure nub. He licked up and down her slit, deftly avoiding the most sensitive part for a while. When he finally clicked her clip, Ashley reacted by pushing him against the bed with her tongue and lips. James pushed a finger into her pussy, well there we go, and Ashley moaned. James intensified his licking and rubbing inside of her, caused her to moan loudly and then arch her back. Then he took her clip between his lips and sucked on it, causing Ashley to cry out and grab the sheets tightly. Pulling out his last ammunition, James flicked his tongue on the captive clip between his lips, sending his own careening over the edge with a loud cry of ecstasy. Allowing her time to come back to Earth, James laid down next to Ashley and gathered her close. After catching her breath, Ashley turned to him and started kissing him deeply. Within minutes, she reached for his rapidly hardening cock, stroking him back to full hardness. When he was fully hard, she whispered, I want you inside me. He pulled away and reached inside her night table to grab a condom. She opened the package and repositioned herself so that he could see what he was doing. She slowly unrolled the condom on his hard cock, rolling it back and forth in a teasing motion. You gotta kill me, woman! Ashley laughed and finally covered his whole length. Then she crawled up and straddled him, positioning herself right over his cock. Oh, you want to be on top, don't you? Is that okay? 
Oh, yeah. Hearing that, Ashley reached down and aligned his rod with her entrance. Then she lowered herself onto him, closing her eyes in sweet agony, feeling her tight pussy around his cock. James moaned loudly. Something wrong, big guy? Oh, baby, you're so tight. You like? Do I have to answer that? Come here, let me show you. With that, he grabbed her hips and held her while he pumped up and down inside her. Ashley threw her head back and moaned. They continued moving together for a while and sensing that she needed a break. Whoa, whoa, whoa. They continued moving together for a while and sensing that she needed a break. James stopped moving and moved to get her to lay down next to him. He positioned himself sideways and pulled her legs over his side so that he could penetrate her, yet still reach her breasts and caress them? They both moved slowly, enjoying the sweet friction for a while. Then James pulled out and got on top of her and kissed her while he pushed into her again. <laughs> James increased the tempo and moved in and out of her tight pussy, closing his eyes at times to fully enjoy the sensations. Ashley wrapped her legs around his waist and pulled him deeper, moaning when he reached deep inside. As they continued, their speed increased. Ashley started to feel tingles of another orgasm and building. James, baby, don't stop. I won't. And I want to feel your tight pussy grip my cock when you come, just like you gripped my finger earlier. Pause for effect. Pause for effect. Hearing that, Ashley paused herself up against James and moaned again. That encouraged James to push deeper yet, and pushing one of his legs against his chest, managed to do so, causing Ashley to cry out as a second orgasm washed over her like a tidal wave. James' own release followed right behind hers, and he let out a loud, Ah! When they both regained their breaths and cleaned up, they laid cuddled against each other, and just before falling asleep, James whispered, I never thought that shoveling could be this much fun. Ashley smiled, pulled him close, and then fell asleep. Semicolon, left-facing bracket. That was Shoveling Can Lead to Fun by N-U-E-T-R-O-N-A on Literotica. Thank you to whatever anonymous lady submitted that one. Okay, if you like the show and you want to pay me dough, now is the time to tip me so. Thank you so much for coming on out, hearing everything. That's the, uh, that's the initial little talky talk. Mm. That's the poetry, that's the love letters, that's the silly spot. We've got one serious, sexy story for you. But After how silly that one was, I do need a sip of tea. I need a little hydration, and I need to consider what I'm doing with my life. You know, just to reset. Just to reset. <laughs> so what do you do for a living? Uh, 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 well, you see, uh... So, a couple of years ago, I put some porn on the internet. <laughs> and every day since then, I've woken up just like, okay, but what now? 
I was actually just thinking of a memory. I couldn't remember. It was two or three years ago. The only people, the only person who would know about it is Allie. So don't correct me, and then I'll be right, Allie. But a couple of years ago, I got that DM in the middle of the night, like literally between like midnight and 3 a.m., like the middle of the night from somebody who asked if I was the owner of the server. Do you remember what I'm talking about at all? The guy? And he clearly wasn't a fan or anything. And I, I immediately had to go like, yeah, I'm the owner of the server because he was clearly like all business. And then he said that the server had committed copyright infringement upon one of his works. And I immediately went, okay, well, uh, you know, I own the server, but I don't run the server. So just, you know, give me one second to, to get that person on the line. And he was very, very serious up until this point. But then he relaxed immediately. As soon as I said, oh, sure, I, I, I don't want to infringe on your copyright. Let me get the server host. He immediately became much cooler. <clears throat> That's my read, at least. You know, it's all over text. I don't know who this guy is from Adam. And now, Ali, I can't remember. What minutia did he fucking say we had copyright infringed upon? Because it was it was a graphic. Was it like the feet? Was it a color? It was something that insignificant. What was it? A koala popcorn emote. That's right. He made a koala popcorn emote that Ali put on the server, and it was his property, and he traced it down. And he demanded that we immediately stop using the koala popcorn emote, to which I said, okay, because I need you to understand. I need you to understand. I had no idea that we had a koala popcorn emote. So the fact that he said with some anger and frustration that I had stolen it and ended up infringing upon his income was real fucking news to me. And it came out of goddamn nowhere. But it was all resolved within about five minutes, maybe ten at most. Like the timestamps and everything. He was in. We agreed that we were going to remove it. I showed him that, you know, it was going to be gone. A couple minutes later, he said thank you. He verified. And I never heard from him again. And I was just thinking about, like, that is the strangest singular encounter I've ever had in my life. And yet... Life got so much fucking weirder after that moment <laughs> that it almost seems like quaint and refreshing. Like the world got so much more weird and upside down from that point on that I think back upon that. I'm like, ah, remember when somebody accused me of being an internet highway bandit stealing a goddamn emoji? Does anyone remember that? Simpler times. Simpler times. Anyway... <laughs> <laughs> you start this off, you know, you make a couple of pieces where a girl turns 18 and you have sex with her for, you know, the 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 tawdry money and all the clicks and all that. You do things, you're like, God, people going to think I'm a pedophile or people are going to think I'm weird or people are going to think I'm crazy. Not so much, but they well think that I'm an emoji popcorn koala thief. Can you imagine if I become super famous and I tell this story because I think this story is fucking hilarious. It's just, it's a real story. It really happened to me randomly one fucking weeknight. Can you imagine if that guy is like stuck somewhere as a graphic artist or something and like his life stinks and he's like, please, please tell them my name. Show them my emoji. You liked it so much. 
I'm so tired of working for $42,000 a year for Amazon Web Services. <laughs> Poor man. <clears throat> That's probably not going to happen, but it's a fun thing to think about. It's a lot like, you know, buy, like winning the lottery. Like, what would you do? It's like, well, my ex is never going to have another fun night again. Ever. Ever. Because wherever she lives, guess who's going to buy a trombone factory right next door? Oh, there's no trombone factory right next door? Give it a couple of months. <laughs> Would I really do that? No. Is it fun to think about? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's very fun. There's a lot of things that you could do. Like, there's a lot of stories that I've read where you could make somebody's life hell. And there's nothing they could do because even if you try and like tell other people about how your life has been made hell, they'll just laugh at you. For instance, most places have a port where you can like shut off the water and you can hook up a hose. Most buildings, most residential buildings, you can hook up a hose and you can, you know, run through the plumbing system of the building. Occasionally, not very often, but a news story comes up where like a beer truck or a truck of wine or olive oil or something We'll back into a, a, a building and there'll be apartments and there'll be a commercial building and they'll plug the hole, they'll plug the hose into the wrong hole and somebody will go to do the dishes and beer comes out. Beer comes out of the tap instead of water because the truck shut off the wrong water and hooked their hose up of their supply to the right one. Now, <clears throat> there's already laughter going on in the server. If you do that to your ex... Like, you give her a beer shower, she's going to be like, He gave me a beer shower! My life is hell! But no one's going to go along with it because they're like, Ha ha ha, beer shower. Right? That's the system we have. If you just go more ludicrous than anything else that person's going to experience that day, you're dismissed. Case dismissed. The judge has got too much shit to do that day. They're not even... They're not even, I'm not trying to be like too down on, on what's going on, but when I think about how crazy America is right now, and I think about how fucked up this country is right now, I got to say, from an anxiety perspective, it does me a lot of good knowing I essentially cannot get locked up at this point. Could I get locked up at some point? Sure. But not at this point. I've got no criminal history. I'm white. I'm in my fucking 40s. I can speak well. <laughs> I know how to shut up around police. There's no chance! They're letting out people who are, like, taking guns out and, like, firing at cops and shit. Like, they're getting fucking bail. There's no room in the jails! Every other week, there's a story about some guy who's all, like, he beat up his seventh girlfriend of the week. She was a... She was a ninth grader. Uh, he, he's been in prison four times, and he's been released on bail, and also he's working at a Toys R Us. That's really weird, because that's not around anymore, but that's what it said, so we're letting him out. Uh, so there's no way. There's no way. I can do whatever I want. Don't fuck with me. I'm going to hook a beer truck up to you. I'm going to Private Benjamin you in your own shower. No one knows the movie Private Benjamin, Jack. Just take a moment to reset and read the serious porn. <clears throat> okay, guys, that was the show. I'm going to read some serious smut. And then... 
the show will end. So thank you very much for coming out. Hope to see you next Friday. Tell all of your friends. Send it on out social media. Everybody who hearts, everybody who clicks, everybody who tells somebody, everybody who retweets, everybody who puts anything up about the Grey Knight and Grey Knight Erotica. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. And here we go. The way she said, do it, sends me into a frenzy. It's almost an order. And maybe it's my military training kicking into gear, or more probably, it's just her rasping, anxious voice is the sexiest thing I've ever heard. But every single part of me is at full command and ready to follow orders. I lift her higher and press her wings harder into the rough wall. I raise her so I can get my mouth around her gorgeous breasts, wrapping my lips around the right one. I allow my tongue to skitter over her nipple. I draw my mouth back, sucking as I go, letting my teeth graze her skin just lightly enough so that she can feel the edges, careful not to tickle, not to bite, just torture in the best way. I can taste the sweat and the fear and the relief. I can taste it all. And I immediately wonder how the rest of her must taste. She's still pumping my dick, reaching, straining, almost like she's afraid to go. And that has propped open the top button of my jeans, so that my cock is throbbing in the night air, urging me to thrust myself inside her now. But I can't. Not just yet. I need to know what the rest of her tastes like first. The pool of light from the Defender's headlamps is between us, leaving us hidden in the shadows, known only to each other, cast in the faint blue glow of an October desert moon. I looked up at her through my eyelids, and she stares back down, swallowing, chest heaving, gulping for breast. Gulping for breath. I don't say anything just begin to lower her slowly to the ground, allowing her long legs to land on the concrete. With her shoes on, she's almost as tall as I am. We stare at each other, nearly eye to eye, and she swallows one more time, her eyes closing as I bend my knees to lower myself down to her stomach, kissing lightly as I go. I stop for a second and tickle her belly button with my tongue. She shudders as though a bolt of electricity has shot through her. I love that. So I stay there a moment longer, letting my tongue make circles on the sweet and salty skin, before lowering her G-string from her hips and sliding it down her thighs, over her knees, down, down to her ankles, where she stops, where she steps gingerly away from the fabric, first with her left foot then her right, leaving herself exposed to me. One high heel, two high heels. I'm going to fuck an angel and know how it feels. I lift my gaze to look up at her face one more time. Her head is back, her eyes are closed, and I hear a moan of yearning as I press my mouth forward, and when she feels my warm breath on the entrance of her beautiful, bare pussy. The world has disappeared. We are not in an alley behind a strip club. We are on a cloud, 
high above everyone and everything. We are ascending, and I am intent on taking her higher and higher until the earth falls far away and we are both transported from the poison and pain of this small world, at least for a moment. I gently kiss the inside of her thighs, first the right, then the left. Then I nuzzle my nose against the soft, already wet space between her legs. I breathe in deep, taking in every bit of way she smells. I can't get enough. I want to bury my face inside her warmth and let her become my oxygen. I can't get enough down on my knees as I am, so I grab her around the waist, throw her legs over my shoulders, and rise up to my full height so I can keep her placed directly above my greedy mouth. I flick my tongue against her folds of her opening as her knees shudder, so I look more slowly. I don't want her to come just yet. Parting her wider with my fingers and letting my tongue slide inside, she tastes even better than she smells, like the ocean on a perfect summer day. I find her clit and wrap the whole of my mouth around it, building a pressure on her tongue, pulling back well, until I hear her say, Oh my God, oh my God, what are you doing to me? And now I'm sucking and smiling at the same time. I pull my mouth off long enough up to say, Just getting started. He better just be getting started, because I want more, thought Maddie. His hands slip around the curve of my ass, squeezing it so hard, I bite my lip to stifle a whimper. His fingers press into my skin, grabbing hold of me like he might never let go. His tongue laps against my pussy and then flicks my clit. I fist his hair and then let my head fall back, pressing against the brick wall. He does this little move with his tongue, teasing me with the swirls around it, pressing my mouth firmly against my clit, and it moves it back and forth so quick, I drop my hand down to my shoulder and dig my nails in, like I might never let go. It's been a while for me, too long, really, and I can feel the climax building and building, and then, not yet, Angel, he murmurs. Yes, I say insistent. Now, we're in the alley. There's all these people. There's no people, he countered. And I want to be inside you when you come. I want you to be fucked as much as possible before I let you finish. Ford, I say, I really need this guy's real name. I can't keep calling him that, especially during sex. We have to hurry. I'm at work and you're not at work. You're with me, Scarlet. And I really need to tell him my name, too, because I feel like I'm morphing into Scarlet, that this is some kind of thing that she does, not me, isn't it? He lifts my legs, still pushing me against the wall, repositions them so that he can drape over the crook in his arms. He's holding both ass cheeks, squeezing them hard and pressing against me with his hard cock. But we're eye level, and I'm looking at him like, like we're something. Like maybe I am with him. He grins a devilish, mischievous grin and says, Ow, do you like it? Like it? My eyes darting around to make sure no one can see it. Scarlet, he says, demanding attention. Look at me and tell me how you like to be fucked. Um, good? He laughs. Roger that. 
Anything else? Just, I start, because I'm not really into dirty talking shit. I'm not into alley sex, or wall sex, or giving blowjobs for money. But I've done all of those things since I've met him last fucking weekend. So fuck it. I'm scarlet now, I guess. Hard, I say. I like it hard. He smiles, and dirty. Filthy? He asks, or just dirty? I take a moment to wonder how much difference there is between filthy and dirty. Scarlet, he says, pushing his stiff cock up against the entrance of my pussy. God, I'm wet. And the way he's teasing me with his whole body trembling. Tell me how to fuck you. Because if you don't, you're just going to get it the way I like it. Jesus Christ, but it leaves me an opening, so I take it and say, give it to me like that then. A finger is suddenly pressing against my asshole. I gasp in surprise. Surely he's not thinking about fucking me in the ass here. He reads the panic on my face and shoots me that devilish grin again. No, no, not yet. Just exploring my options. Oh. Shit. I swallow hard. His eyes track right into my throat, and I know, I just know, he's thinking about what I did, how I took his cock in my mouth last week, and how I took him deep and swallowed it all down when he came. Do you want me to stop? He asked. Stop. Jesus, no. Fuck no. Then tell me what to do. Because if someone does come through that door and I'm not done, we're still going to have to finish. Bank on that shit. Okay, I get it. He likes to call the shots. And even though it might appear that he's asking me what I want so he can give it to me, what he's really doing is taking me out of my comfort zone so he can control me. It's going to piss me off later when I think about this whole thing, but for right now, fuck it. I squirm until he drops on one leg, and then I take his free hand, press it right up against my pussy, and then begin to rub myself with my pad of my thumb. Now put your cock inside me, I say, and don't stop rubbing until I scream. That's how I like it. <clears throat> God damn, Tyler thought. God damn, motherfucking damn. Normally, I'm the maestro of talking dirty, and this woman just acts giggly or act coy and shit. Scarlet, fuck, I gotta find out her real name, is just giving as good as she gets in every way. I'm not thinking anymore. I'm just reacting. And honestly, that's got me almost as hot as everything else that's happening. It feels so fucking good to be free of my thoughts and just here. I want to do what she says because it's also what I want. I want to make her scream. None. I say, but I don't want to scrape her up her back any more than I already have on the rough brick wall, so I drop her other leg, grab her by her shoulder, spin her around, and pin her arms to the wall in front of her. I almost rip my pants in half, getting them down below my knees and grabbing her by the hips. I pull her ass back hard and push myself forward, sliding my dick against her warm, wet, perfect pussy. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck, she cries out. 
It makes me grin. I reach around in front of her so that I can keep rubbing her clit like I was ordered, like a good soldier. Yes. Yes. She grasps as I rub her small, frantic circles with indexes of middle fingers. I want to grab her hair. I want to pull on it hard, yanking her neck and forcing her eyes to the night sky. But she's still wearing that wig, and I'm afraid if I tug it off, I'll fuck everything up and destroy the perfection in this moment. So instead, I slap her ass hard with the back of my left hand, and she squeals, I love it. It makes me even harder if that's possible. And now I drive the thumb of my left hand into the stick of her ass again. (laughs) Sorry. I take the thumb of my left hand and stick it in her ass again. I'm fingering her clit. I'm playing with her asshole. I'm driving myself back and forth inside her all at the same time. Oh, Jesus. Don't stop. I smile because she's moaning and panting and very nearly on the verge of coming all over my dick. But there's one thing she doesn't know, and that's that I'm not all the way inside her yet. I've been holding back just enough. Just far enough for her to feel almost all of me, but not quite. And now I'm ready to give her the whole thing. I accelerate, rubbing on her sweet pussy, and then in one hard thrust, I push myself inside her all the way, driving my thumb into her ass and maniacally rubbing her clit. And she explodes. She screams so loudly for a moment I believe she'll pierce the walls of the pounding bass and the thudding that's coming inside from the club, sending the whole place racing out back to see what's going on. And I don't give a fuck. Let them see. Let everyone see. Let the whole world know right now for just this one moment. I'm fucking happy. I pause just for a second, just long enough to ask, So, did you come? She turns her head over her left shoulder and sees me smiling. I slow everything down. I move my hand away from her clit. I take my other hand away from her ass. I stop thrusting inside her, and I am just joined with her. She shakes her head the tiniest bit, like she can't believe. I'm not sure. I choose to think she shakes her head like she can't believe what a swell fucking guy I am. Then she coughs out, Fuck you. No. You. I respond. I grab her hips and thighs with both hands, and I start again. This time not with any extra tricks or subtlety, just pure, raw, unrestrained fucking. Pounding myself into her from behind again, and again, and again, and again. Forcing my whole self into her whole self. The grunting whine she makes as I push forward, and she drives me to push harder and faster. Do it, I say. Do it. Come. Come all over me. Cover me with it. Fucking wash me in you. I don't know if it's just because I'm so good at fucking, or because I said some shit that turned her on, or it's the thrill and danger of the whole insane night, or probably all of the above, but she does. She comes again. She orgasms like I've never felt a woman orgasm before. Her walls clench around me like a vice. She practically chokes my shaft with her pussy, and her legs shudder so hard that I'm sure if she falls now, she'll drag me to the ground with her cock first. So I pull back and hold her up, resting deep inside until she stops shaking and quivering. Go, fuck yourself. No, I want to fuck you. She drops her chin to her shoulder so that I can see her profile grinning, and I almost shoot myself inside her right then. She must feel me holding back somehow because she starts. She stops. She bites, 
Holy shit, this is going to be the end of me. I prompt her, what? I mean, the answer likely is yes, but what? Will you come on my ass, please? Jesus Christ, the lip biting was nothing. It's the please that almost fucking kills me. Is that what you want? I summon the presence of mind to ask. She nods her head in a way that conveys yes, no, I'm not sure, but yes. And then I do something that I'm not expecting, not even a little. I reach around to her waist with both arms, wrapping her in a hug as I pull my chest down to the wings on her back and I kiss her on the shoulder right by where her head has turned to see me. I feel a small exhilaration of breath whisper past my nose as my lips touch her skin. And here... In this back alley strip club, my pants around my ankles, her in heels, angel wings, and a ribbon of cloth now pushed below her breath that constitutes what's left of her outfit, with the possibility that drunk, horny tourists of men's with guns could walk upon us at any moment. It feels like the sweetest, purest, kindest moment I can remember having in my life, maybe, since I was a kid. And I have no idea why. It just is. So I savor it. I savor the brief tick of the clock like it's already a memory that I can call on when I want to think back to a time in my life when I was happy. And then I lift my chest up, draw my hips back, and begin pumping in and out of her again so that in a few seconds I can shoot my load all over her pretty ass. Whew! Sin With Me by J.A. Huss, H-U-S-S, and Jonathan McLean. Oh, thank you so much for coming out one more time. It's been a hell of a live show. We want to get this one right about two hours. Really appreciate all of you. Come on out to the next one. Send in those questions for the podcast. Send in those requests for the live shows. Keep on all of the support and everything that you guys are doing. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and I'll see you next week.